Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lago. And I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on The Breakdown, well, today we have a state lawmaker on the show who's looking to knock off a fellow Democrat and become the state's insurance commissioner. Marin Assemblyman Mark Levine is here today. We're going to talk to him about why he wants to be the state's top consumer advocate and his habit of going after fellow Democrats, as well as what he wants to do if he lands that insurance commissioner job. But first, Scott, uh, we are going to be seeing uh, an official revise of the governor's proposed budget for the fiscal year that would start on July 1st. Uh, we got some previews today of money that Newsom would like to spend uh, to kind of help with inflation costs for Californians. We've also seen, of course, um, a lot of response from his office to the expected Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade. And he did announce on Wednesday that he wanted to put an extra $57 million on top of the $68 million he proposed in January um, for things that include, you know, helping people, both Californians pay for abortions, helping people, too. yeah, providers uh, sort of shore up their facilities and, and, and add that capacity. Um, and then a little sweet... Uh, at the end for Governor DeSantis uh, and Abbott. He wants to provide incentives for businesses to relocate for Cal- to California if they are in states with anti-abortion or LGBTQ plus laws. Disneyland North, <laughs> West North, uh, yeah. I mean, it was funny because at one of his news conferences recently, he acted like he doesn't know DeSantis's name. Yeah. <laughs> like they're not both living you know, rent-free in each other's Florida heads. Florida and Texas are great foils for the governor. And so much of what he has been saying around the Roe v. Wade stuff, and of course, you could go back even further, does indicate that uh, he has a you know certain 1600 Pennsylvania address on his mind no, sometimes. I know, shocking. Newsom I know, with shocking. ambition, you're crazy. But, you know, it is, this is a, a great issue for he's up for re-election in November. Obviously, uh, California is a very blue state and very pro-choice. Uh, and uh, so it plays well. And I think, obviously, Democrats nationwide are hoping that it helps them. But coming back to the budget, $68 billion. And I have a feeling it's going to could be more than that as it's just the surplus. You know, that alone is larger than the entire state budget of all but five states. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a whatever disagreements there may be about the size and scope and, you know, contours of a rebate. It's a pretty happy disagreement to have with the legislature. Right. It's kind of a yes and situation. Um, but it does seem that the governor wants to to stick to this idea of tying a uh, rebate to people who own vehicles, you know, yeah. I'm not so sure that's going to that's not going to fly with the legislature. I just find it interesting that this is like the hill that his administration wants to die on because it doesn't track 
it seems with a lot of their other priorities around global warming and climate change and also just the idea that we, you know, we all know that inflation is not just hitting folks who are filling up their gas tanks, right? I mean, all consumer goods have gone up, food in particular. And who spends most of their money on things like food and gas and rent? It's poor people. Sure, as a, as a, as a proportion. And, you know, there's also uh, folks who are working class in L.A., for example, even, uh, that don't own cars. You know, they take public transportation to get to work, to restaurants and retail. Or there's a family of a lot of people with one car. I mean, there's a lot of sort of holes in this when you think about the way that Newsom has framed poverty, environmentalism. Um, And so it'll be, I think, kind of fascinating to see some of this play out potentially more publicly in some of the hearings in the coming weeks, because maybe not the governor himself, only we've only seen that once with Jerry Brown actually coming down to make the case, right? But, or up. I guess I guess the hearing rooms are upstairs from the governor's right, office, right? right. Yeah. But um, you know, his administration will have to answer a lot of these questions publicly, and so we'll be watching out for that. Yeah, and speaking of you know answering questions, uh, the big initiative that he unveiled a few weeks ago now, or maybe even a couple months ago, was this care courts idea, and it's been just laid out in sort of policy uh, you know, details, but there really hasn't been a price tag attached to it. And we're talking about compelling all 58 counties to set up a system uh, that would basically steer people with addiction and drug prob- drug and alcohol problems into treatment, um, I'm told that we're going to get some detail in terms of a dollar uh, cost for something like that. Uh, it's, you got to think it's got to be a fairly big ticket item because you just have to have the space and the providers to deal with you know the treatment and the all, all of these all the all the things that go into dealing with people who have serious mental health problems. Yeah, I mean that'll be uh, one to watch too because a lot of what they've been sort of framing this as is we've made these investments, we have a lot of money already in the budget for the types of housing and services you're talking about. So is there an extra investment? And again, you know the the sort of perennial problem we see whether it's lean times or good times in California, which is that often, you know, it, it, it does fluctuate. And so there's a feeling, I think, among Democrats that you don't want to spend a bunch of money on programs that you're going to have to go ahead and cut in a year or two. Um, so that hasn't happened in a while. It I mean, hasn't. I, you know, but, I thought that for know. sure that would happen after, you know, the 20, I think it was 19 budget where the budget just ballooned. But yeah. lo and behold, it hasn't. All right. Well, there is more to talk about around abortion, but I think we can hold it for another week because that is not an issue that's going away. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And before we go to break, I want to plug our KQED primary voter guide. We're about to hear from one of the candidates on the ballot. And you can find more information, not just about the ballot, uh, but how to cast your ballot, any questions you have and analysis of key races. That is at kqed.org slash voter guide. Shout out to our own guy Marzarati for leading the charge on the editorial side on that. No excuse to be uninformed before you vote. So when we come back, we're going to sit down with Assemblyman Mark Levine. He's running for state insurance commissioner. For now, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And today we have Mark Levine here with us in studio like COVID never happened. (laughs) He is a Democratic Assemblyman representing Marin and he is running for insurance commissioner. Assemblyman, welcome to Political Breakdown. Good to see you. Thank you both so much. It's really nice to join you in person. It is nice to join in person, right? It is. It's always better. Totally different. Totally different. All right. Well, we want to talk about 
a lot of things, but we want to start at the beginning with your bio. You were born in Los Angeles, but I believe raised in Concord, in Contra Costa County here in the Bay Area. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. We, there was not a lot out there on you. We're, we're, we want Stealth to know. Yeah. What were your parents like? What was your childhood like? Oh, well, I was just with my mom and dad yesterday. Uh, they still live out in the East Bay. My sister does as well. I had pretty much this quintessential 80s childhood. I was a latchkey child. That was kind of like the big thing. Um, and uh, my mom worked part-time at the Sun Valley Mall. I spent a lot of time out there, uh, you know, waiting very for, 80s, very 80s, waiting for her to get off work. Rats, um, yeah. and, uh, and just really blessed. Um, now I think I, like so many other people in the Bay Area, part of that sandwich generation where um, I was the one accompanying my father to a doctor's appointment. Um, he's 88. He's got Parkinson's. And I want to be there when medical and healthcare decisions are being made on his behalf, see that he's engaged, that he knows what's going on, be there to support my mom as she's going through this as well. And, uh, and so I, I'm just grateful for um, them being a part of my life and, uh, and wanting to be there for them when they need it. Were they political at all? Did they sort of guide you on this path you got on? Uh, or any of your, do you have siblings that warn got you, into did politics? Did they warn you against or, it? Yeah, I was yeah. the only Republican. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. So I found out that we were Democrats um, when I was in, I think, first grade. And I walked with my neighbors uh, after school back to the school where they were voting for Reagan. And I came home from uh, that walk with them and told my mom what we had done. And my mom said, oh, no, no, we're Democrats. We, we vote for Carter. And, uh, and so that was kind of my first political memory. Um, but they weren't really politically engaged, but they were engaged in community, active in our synagogue. And, uh, and I knew that it was important to be part of community and that public service was a part of just life in general uh, to engage in community that way. Absolutely. So you went to Cal State Northridge, and I think you were there when the Northridge earthquake hit. Tell us, I mean, where were you? What oh, happened? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was early morning. Yeah, it was very early in the morning, but I fortunately... It was over winter break, and I was here in Northern California. Oh. <laughs> Next so, question. Yeah, but I had one one friend who was at, at uh, the home I lived in, and he was by himself. Uh, everything fell. He had a hard time getting out. He had to, to climb through a window. And um, I remember the uh, inspectors come by saying that they were going to red tag the house after I'd returned a week later. And we, we looked at the inspector and said, if you red tag this house, you're going to have seven um, homeless people right away. Mm. And, uh, and so he yellow tagged the house, said, don't sit near the chimney. Oh, wow. um, eventually the chimney came down. Mm. Um, and Where I, were you with, in Loma Prieta in 89? Were you out, I was, out of the state as I well? I was in a driver's ed car on Concord Avenue. All and right. I, was in, I was in the back seat, not the one driving at that time. But we all wondered. like, thought you had we, a flat tire. We have a flat tire, but everyone got out of the car. And, yeah. uh, and so that was the, a really strong memory of, uh, of Loma Prieta as well. So it's interesting how um, living in different parts of California to know about you know, what happens when disaster strikes. Of course, yeah. many years later, representing Sonoma yeah. County, we saw the, the North Bay fires um, that impacted thousands of people. Yeah. You went to the Naval Post-Grad School in Monterey for a master's in national security. That, that was surprising. One of the things yeah. we dug What did you major in before yeah. that? Like, yeah. yeah. So I, um, I, I got a job offer from them. And uh, I even told them during the phone interview, I was sitting in my office in Los Angeles at the time after college. And I told them, I think you've got the wrong guy. And they're like, well, we, it's okay. Um, even if you don't know anything, I was trying to say, I, I don't have any military experience or knowledge. I said, that's not why we want to hire you. Um, they were interested in um, uh, my public affairs skills. They were very concerned about the base realignment that was taking place in the late nineties. Um, and so when I went and flew up to Monterey to interview, I asked them if I could also attend school, get my master's degree. And they said, 
we can't guarantee that they'll accept you academically. But if they do, we'll let you come and take your coursework. So I did do that. Got my master's degree in national security affairs. And, uh, and then I got involved in developing software to monitor humanitarian data. And uh, I had an amazing career, uh, traveled to every continent, uh, helping human rights organizations and quasi-governmental organizations uh, monitor um, human rights abuse, essentially, uh, in partnership with the State Department, other international NGOs. Um, and then I fell in love and got married and wondered why I was traveling around the world when I should be, uh, you know, more closer to home and enjoying that part of my life. So, but there's a gap between then and when you ran for office, right? What What did you do in the meantime? Ah, yeah. So I mean, you guys had a couple kids. Yeah, we had a couple kids. <laughs> I worked here in the Bay Area. It worked closer to home. Um, and but that uh, was still in that same sort of work or? Yeah. So I worked um, for uh, nonprofits, educational institutions, also startup, um, and then uh, got involved in my local city council. Um, So some local city issues came up, decided to run for city council. And that was how I got kind of started onto this political path. I want to ask you about that first race because it has sort of echoes today, which we'll get to in a minute. But you were on, you ran for the San Rafael city council and and you, uh, um, uh, then later ran for the assembly in 2012 and took on an incumbent Democrat who was a rising kind of rising star, Michael Allen. He was sort of uh, had some labor support, had uh, you know a lot of uh, Democratic Party behind him, and you ran against him even though you were you know pretty unknown. Um, what what got you into that race? So as I served on the city council, we were in the just the the nadir of the Great Recession. Things were really bad. As soon as I was elected to the city council, the mayor, like the night of my election, said, congratulations, and we need to lay out, you know, cut the budget and lay people off. And it was a tremendously terrible experience. So we saw how the state was reacting to the recession. It was very painful across the state. And in redistricting that year, um, someone who didn't live in the district decided to move into the, the, the North Bay district that I, I now represent, Marin and Sonoma County. And I thought that that wasn't good enough that for the representation that we need in Sacramento, they have to have the lived experience of someone who, who knows the community best. And I thought I can either be dictated to, like many others, that I, I should not run because the speaker at the time said, don't run, or certain special interests told me not to run. And that, that wasn't something I thought was right, that they should dictate who, who are even the candidates in this democratic process. And, um, and I didn't want that to color who I was as a public, uh, someone who does public service that I do think for myself, that I'm independent and I will stand up for my community. Well, you squeaked that race out. Um, it was close. But, I mean, there was fallout beyond you, right? Like, I know some of the consultants that helped you were blacklisted by labor for several years, which is a big deal in a state like California, where that's where a lot of the political money on the left comes from. Um, I can't imagine uh, Speaker John Perez was, like, welcoming you with open arms when we're you gonna arrived We're going to give you a big Sacramento. office and a great committee assignment. Uh, he was not really known for... <laughs> It, it really wasn't that bad. No? And if you look back in time, Did you have a window in your um, office. I had not not just an office, but a sliding glass door to the patio in the old Capitol Annex. We don't have that building for. So did our the use consultants anymore. get punished more than you did? I think so. Um, I, I it was great. You know, the morning or the, the, <laughs> for who the night of the election. You know, it was it was now like one thirty a.m. and my wife remembers this very clearly. Speaker Perez called me and yeah. said, "Hey, congratulations." 
um, come on up to Sacramento tonight, you know, then Wednesday night, um, and, you know, get to know all the other new members. And uh, we're going to have a caucus on Thursday, and you're going to get to know everyone. And, you know, it just went from there. And since that time, you know, in the past 10 years, I've authored over 90 laws, done a lot of other very good positive things for the community um, to fund important projects in, in the North Bay, uh, impacting statewide policies. And, uh, and I, I feel like um, if you look at the endorsements that I've received from the LA Times, the Chronicle, the B, the Mercury News, um, in my race for insurance commissioner, that that reputation of doing good work um, and being here for the right reasons has paid off a decade later. If you're just joining us, we are talking to Assemblyman Mark Levine. He is uh, from Marin, a Democrat, and he's running for the insurance commissioner. And you're listening to Political Breakdown with myself and Scott Schaefer on KQED. Um, okay, well, you're not AOC. Like, you guys look a little different, but, you know, similar, taking on somebody from your own party. And we do want to talk about the commissioner race. But I want to talk about your record in SAC. I, I, I want to ask you about housing because, you know, you have what I think EMBs would see as a kind of abysmal record on some of this housing stuff when it comes especially to Marin. Um, you wrote legislation, for example, a few years ago that continues to exempt Marin from density standards through 2028. Why should Marin be diff- treated differently than most parts of the Bay Area? So I think that that issue is really misunderstood. So it's not about being treated differently. It's actually about being treated the same. So Santa Clara had a different density standard than Marin. And so that legislation aligned it with Santa Clara. Marin has 250,000 people. Santa Clara has over 2 million people. So how do you re- reduce NIMBY opposition to things? And one way to do that is to say the state isn't forcing something on the community. It's actually something that's being generated from the community. And so the standards that were passed, I think, in the 90s or early 2000s were not working. They haven't worked statewide. So... Let's change what those standards are so that the opposition people can complain a lot about lawsuits, um, about neighbors coming up to city council members trying to oppose things. Let's take that opposition away. And we've actually seen a lot more housing get generated because either we're able to meet the standards, the same standards that Santa Clara or Sonoma County can meet, um, or because of choosing to make a a higher standard standard. they're able to do that without the pressure from Sacramento. Do you think that Marin has an unfair reputation as being wanting to to stay sort of wealthy and white? Well, I think that if you look historically, you can't uh, make the case that anything's unfair. Uh, Redlining's real. It happens everywhere, including Marin. And there's a lot of work to be done to make sure that there's housing equity. Uh, I think that what we have tried to do is to make housing equity possible by reducing opposition. So do you think, I mean, what would you point to then as either legislation, policies you pushed, or even developments that have come out of this that are starting to change that that historic? Because it's not just about redlining, right? I mean, there have been local policies um, in cities and, and in the county that have really made it hard to both build transit um, and low-income housing, and, and I think particularly for people of color. Yeah, we've seen more housing get developed. Um, Homeward Bound was able to meet the standards that we passed um, and develop housing for for affordable housing, if you will. Um, And so this is occurring across the county. And I think it's very positive what we've seen happen um, in the past decade. So you're running for insurance commissioner. You're giving up your job to to run for insurance commissioner, taking on another incumbent, another Democrat, uh, Ricardo Lara, who was on the show last week. He's had a a few problems, I think you could say, and we'll get to those in a second. But why do you want, why that job? Why do you, what do you want to do? 
After the 2017 fires, then Insurance Commissioner Dave Jones asked me to author three different insurance reform bills. All three became law, but I saw just how challenging it was to even you know, wrestle the insurance industry into any type of agreement. And since that time, the insurance crisis has just gotten worse. And I've proposed a number of things to help make sure that we have a stronger insurance marketplace, but no leadership from Ricardo Lara at all. So if you look a little bit more closely at what Ricardo Lara has been doing the past four years, you see that he's really been serving the industry. He's been serving his donors. Um, ethical lapses, like, you know, charging the state for the rent on his apartment. Like, he's not doing public service You can for listen right to last reason. week's show for all of that. <laughs> I, I may have done that, yeah. And um, good show, by the way. And, um, and so... I, I figured out, well, we need to change the leadership there. Um, public is not being served. Uh, the temperature isn't being brought down. You know, people are getting canceled, non-renewed. And what happens is if you've been paying premiums for, for years, really decades, you've paid tens of thousands, if not six figures uh, of insurance premiums. The insurance companies then cancel you. They lock in that profit and force the homeowner onto the fair plan which has higher premiums and reduced benefits. This is a state plan. Yeah, well, it's a, it's backed by the private carriers. And so they the private carriers are the ones who benefit from charging higher premiums and having reduced benefits for those homeowner owner policies. That is not the solution, but Ricardo Lara has been driving people that way, which is great for the insurers as he has also been uh, approving every rate increase, but getting nothing in return for Californians. So we see people uh, who are, you know, getting canceled, um, but no solution to strengthen the marketplace um, so that we have more choice in, in uh, for Californians. One of the getting issues canceled is-, is a whole different uh, context here. But <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I mean, it's not insurance isn't like a sexy thing to talk about, right? Like insurance companies, it's complicated. It it can make your head spin as a consumer, especially if you look at the way that these rates are, um, are, are they come up with them. But at the same time, insurance companies do have to base prices on risk. So how do you, as an insurance commissioner, push this? I mean, we have seen just like these extraordinary fires. You mentioned the 2017 North Bay fires. You talk to people, you know, in the industry, they, they had never seen anything like that. So like, how do how do we respond to this without the entire market collapsing, but also, you know, not making maybe those of us who have chosen to live in San Francisco pay for somebody else's acreage in, you know, Marin or Sonoma? Sure. So solvency is king. That's the most important thing. You don't want the cheapest insurance. You want insurance that's going to be there for you when you need it as a financial backstop. So um, essentially, um, the insurance companies are crying poor while they have actually profited. Who's the first in line for the PG&E fires? Insurance companies. So they, they you know, say that they've had these losses. Well, these biggest fires, the Camp Fire, uh, the Tubbs Fire, PG&E paid the insurance companies first. Who's left holding the bag? Homeowners who are the ones who are trying to figure out with the PG&E settlement, what's left for them. Yeah. And it's not enough. And so uh, I think insurance carriers are trying to take advantage of this rather than actually be honest. And we saw this with the passage of Prop 103, which created the Office of Insurance Commissioner. Immediately after that, insurance rates went down. You know, in spite of all the problems that Ricardo Lara has uh, had and continues to have, he's gotten uh, endorsements, not from the newspapers, who are all they're mostly endorsing you. In fact, I think they all are. But the governor, the lieutenant governor, uh, Tony Atkins, the president pro tem of the Senate, labor groups. Like, why, why, why is it? It would seem like, you know, at the very least, like Speaker Rennan endorsed both of you. Um, like, why do you think that they're sticking with him? I think there's a very interesting point to be made here. Every single newspaper has endorsed me. Every single one. Um, but everyone who you've mentioned um, endorsed Ricardo before I got in the race. So I got in the race late. 
uh, they had already made their endorsements. There is a strong incumbent industrial complex in California, and they, you know, put, put those wagons together uh, to defend themselves because no one who's in elected office ever wants to be challenged. Are you and saying that a, if you had gotten in earlier, instinct. they would have endorsed you, perhaps? Um, I, I don't know because of that incumbent industrial complex that is so strong. But none of those endorsements happened after I got in the race. They happened prior. We're, we're coining all these new terms here <laughs> yeah. today. Canceling industrial complex. I mean, it's a multi-million dollar <laughs> industry to lock in multi-billion dollar benefits from the state budget. So- a lot of those editorials, though, talked a lot about what Ricardo Lara has done wrong. Um, and I'm curious, I guess, kind of piggybacking on what Scott said, like, how are you making the case, not just to the insider Democrats, but but to voters? And like, why? I mean, you're a Democrat, too, right? Like, you've been in the legislature all this time. Like, why should we expect a different kind of outcome um, from somebody who's part of the same party? Every single editorial has made it very clear that the difference is ethics that I can restore trust in the department, that I will actually be for Californians and not for the insurance industry that has donated to Ricardo Lara. They're funneling money into an independent expenditure through PACs to Ricardo Lara right now, um, and that I am completely independent of that. And that over the past decade, I've displayed that independent streak in any number of ways, including voting against the PG&E bailouts, um, and that I will be there for Californians. And so they don't just say, Ricardo's bad. They actually do find that I have a lot of virtues. And Marisa, you're laughing. <laughs> there's just, well, there's just <laughs> but, a lot. Uh, you got to read a long way yeah. down there. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, I don't know how he shows up for work on a Monday after what the Sacramento Bee wrote about him on Sunday. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad to be me. And I'm very glad to share that with my 15-year-old son and my, my 13-year-old daughter, why they're endorsing me. And I got to tell you, one of the ones that I'm most proud of is the Bay Area Reporter. That is the largest circulation gay LGBTQ publication in the nation. Mm -hmm. And they chose me uh, for the virtues that I will bring to this office. And I am, th again, uh, that people see uh, that type of embrace for my candidacy means the world to me. Well, you know, uh, one of the editorials supporting you described you as prickly. Yeah. And I think another one was maybe combative or contrarian, maybe. Sure. So what? What's what? are you prickly? And is I that think, a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a source for self-reflection. <laughs> and that's, that's completely appropriate. There's a lot of that in Marin. And I think that it's um, a matter of sticking up for oneself or sticking up for one's community and standing up for what you believe in. And I think that for the safety in the herd mentality of Sacramento, that's prickly. Um, to stand up and say, the herd is wrong on bailing out PG&E not once but twice, two successive years, that's contrarian. Um, I still remember, uh, you know, I had voted against uh, regular, you know, like so many people have played fantasy sports, but voted against a fantasy sports betting bill, regulating it as entertainment. I was the only person in the committee that did. And then the industry spent $100,000 on KNBR and KCBS saying what a bad person I was. So, uh, and it's just, you know, I'm okay being that contrarian. So are you going to endorse in the race to, to, uh, replace you in the assembly. So I saw in 2012 the heavy hand yeah, that Sacramento attempted to play. Yeah. And I think that voters in the North Bay, just like the whole Bay Area, they're smarter than that. And they can see through uh, different candidates and figure out for them who is true in their heart, the right person to represent the community. And I trust them to do that. They did it for me a decade ago. They figured it out. And when I was outspent five to one, six to one, John Perez told me. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that in this race... Um, I was hopeful that 
a number of very well-qualified, good people would run. And I think that we have uh, four of those individuals. In the insurance commissioner race, we have a top two system. Um, you could come in first, but, you know, Laura's the incumbent. He may. So that means you're going to have to beat out maybe some Republicans. Are you going to make a play for Republican votes? I mean, obviously, there's also a decline of state like voters. Like Rob Bonta's uh, uh, ad for Eric Early, perhaps. <laughs> and we, we see this as well with, uh, I don't know why Gavin Newsom is propping up Brian Dolly. Um, but I can't y- imagine why. Yeah. So I, I don't think I have the resources or, or money or, or super PAC that's going to do that for me to try to to navigate some political path that's easy. I think there's really only one path, which is to make sure voters know that there's a difference between uh, Ricardo Lara and me um, and, and hope that voters um, you know, have, have read the endorsements uh, and know why I'm a, a better choice to stand up for them against the insurance industry that has backed Ricardo Lara this whole time. All right. Like 20 seconds left, but what are you going to do for fun this summer if you make it through this primary? Oh, my gosh. Um, so my daughter's bat mitzvah is the weekend after the election. So that's something to really look forward to. And uh, and she really wants to go to the Basketball Hall of Fame, uh, which right. is in Massachusetts. Right. So well, Mazel tov. Yeah. Amazing. All right. That was State Assemblyman Mark Levine. He is running for insurance commissioner. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Once again, don't forget to check out our voter guide for the June primary. That is fresh up this week at kqed.org slash voter guide. And don't forget to vote. Yeah, don't forget to vote. Our producer is the one and only Guy Marzarati. Our engineer, Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. I am cleverly at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at M Lagos. But I try to stay away from it. No, you don't. No, I don't. <laughs> Have a good I'm one, retweeting everyone. you all the time. <laughs>Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there. I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.